Welcome back to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. So this is a little bit of a different kind of interview than we normally do. Our podcast is usually focused more on theology and some practical matters, usually connected to some aspect of theology about how we engage with others who differ theologically, etc. Well, today we're taking the conversation a little bit of a different direction. Our theology will inform this topic, but we hope that this conversation will have a pastoral feel to it. The topic of miscarriage is something that affects many, many couples, uh, and it's also one of those topics that we don't do a great job just as a culture, as believers together, discussing, and sometimes the things that we say and do, we're trying to be helpful. We hope it helps, but it doesn't always help. Sometimes it ends up hurting, and so we just want to have a more productive conversation about this topic. So we're going to be interviewing Dave Dietz. Dave Dietz is the Vice President of Ministries for the Institute of Biblical Leadership, he has over 20 years of pastoral experience and is the author of Selecting Elders, A Biblical Guide to Choosing God's Shepherds, and then the book, When Men Have Miscarriages, Finding Hope Amidst Silent Pain. Stay tuned for that after the music. Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about His Word. I just realized something. He wasn't sleeping on a pillow. He was sleeping on purpose. Something to say I think is important but not essential would be like the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, oh, wow. And okay. I hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. Okay. The title of my sermon tonight is Why Church Nurseries Are Unscriptural and Wrong. And so that's why I have a baby on my hip right here. There is a level of anointing that I believe is going to invade your homes, invade your sight, invade your senses. Um, that's going to, I literally feel that chains are going to break off of you. Do you think I'm wrong? Yeah. yeah. Yay. Hey, by the way, you are a slave. If you're not a slave of Christ, you're a slave of sin. You aren't free. Choose your master. Give us some men who know the truth. All right, when men have miscarriages, let's just address that title first. Surely you've intended that to be somewhat provocative. What do you want people to think when they see that title? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it actually has has garnered some attention from people. Uh, it seems like randomly on Facebook, things pop up or things people say stuff about it. Uh, so the uh, no, it's not just being provocative. Actually, I chose before I started writing this book, I chose the title. Um, I don't know if that's the right way you're supposed to do it, but that's how I did it. And so that was seven, eight years ago. And I really didn't think much about it. And uh, then as, you know, society was was advancing in its wokeness, if you will, and everything that's going on, um, really had to come to, to wrestle with the concept of, am I good with that title still? And uh, prayed about it, thought about it really quite a bit. And, and I thought, you know, actually, I am good with the title because I think there's a theological redemption to the title that is overlooked, even in Christian circles. That's actually where where I've gotten attention is from from Christianity, and uh, they believe that somehow this is an endorsement of you know the woke agenda that men are getting pregnant, and um, you know so there's a mindset that's really been exposed that says it's not my baby, it's my wife's issue. She has the miscarriage. 
if you're saying a men have men have miscarriage, you must have gone woke and we don't even want to talk to you. So actually, I think theologically, it's a it's a redeemable title. And I, I didn't and didn't intend it to be provocative. It's just interesting how the timing all worked out to to release this right when, you know, the height of all this stuff. So that's a that's a great question. And I appreciate just tackling that right off the bat. Uh, in fact, just last week, um, somebody posted on my wife's Facebook page. Um, a, a Christian guy she grew up with criticizing the book, hadn't read it. She, he just felt like he needed to write her uh, on, a, on a public Facebook format and, uh, and telling her how crazy she was that her husband would write this book um, because men don't have, men don't get pregnant. So. Yeah. So not a book about transgender pregnancy. It's, it's not, a book. I can assure you, it is not a book about transgender pregnancy. That is correct. Talk about a failure of of love among uh, Christians too. If love hopes all things, man, you're you're not right. getting the benefit of the doubt from a lot of these right. people. That's yeah, hard. yeah. My wife offered. Uh, she wrote him back, and uh, after she kind of calmed down, she wrote him back and said, "You know, Dave and I'll be happy to send you a copy of the book. You know, be happy to let you read through it." He said, "Don't bother. I'm not interested." So I'm like, "Wow." So you know, he claimed to be a Christian claim to have Christ and, you know, the Holy Spirit living within you. This is how you respond publicly to something you haven't even read. Mm. When you offered to have a gracious dialogue about it, you refuse. So that's, that's Christian circles in some regards for you. Mm. That's pretty bizarre. Well, uh, in the introduction to the book, you share some stats about miscarriage Mm. and, uh, you know, give some background as to how commonplace they are and how many pregnancies end up in miscarriage and whatnot. Um, do you have any of those stats off the top of your head? I'm going to, I'm going to ask you how, how common are miscarriages just so our audience kind of gets an understanding. Yeah, I here. think and I, I, I was a little nervous about, I felt like I needed to research my book again for preparation for this because I appreciate your guys's questions. I think, what is it about 50% they say roughly, 50% end in, in uh, miscarriage. And, and a lot of the, those the are cha- unknown. Yeah. The challenges a lot of times are just not, you know, the, the woman doesn't even get to the point where she's aware or, you know, maybe she's aware or she thinks she's aware, but she's not quite sure she's aware. The husband certainly is not aware because, <laughs> mm. you know, guys just kind of live in their own world. Uh, but it's, it's a very common um, issue, a very common matter that, that, that couples have dealt with and, and are dealing with um, on a regular basis. And so, what's your experience, your own personal experience with miscarriage? Yeah, so we had, um, my wife and I had four that we know of. Um, and we had the first one was at 12 weeks. And then the second one, the second two, the middle two were probably even before, uh, I think she miscarried even before I knew she was pregnant, before she even really knew she was pregnant. I think she had some suspicions, but um, she miscarried those. So those were, I, I hate to use the word less significant, but they weren't as impactful because, you know, you're just trying to, she's just trying to realize that she's even pregnant. Uh, and then the fourth one was at six months, about six months along. And, um, so they were all spread out over the course of, uh, what about, uh, nine or 10 years or so. Um, so that was, it was something that we dealt with, um, something that we, we, you know, we had to come to terms with, and, and really the whole point of the book was more me coming to terms with mm-hmm. things. And, uh, you know, I think my wife did fine. She, you know, she could process it. She could handle it. She could deal with it. And I, I, I couldn't in reality. So what did that look like for you not being able to handle it? 
um, it was fine because I just acted like it didn't happen. That's how you handle it. So in my mind, it, it, I mean, I knew it happened, but you don't dwell on it. It's like, you know, um, yeah, you had a, you had a, you had a rough moment. You had a rough spot. It didn't exist. It didn't happen. You put it out of your mind and you just, nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to hear you complain. Nobody wants to hear you fuss. Um, real men don't have these kind of issues, don't have these kind of struggles. And so that's, that's really how I addressed it for, you know, the vast majority of time until, until, uh, our middle son, Andrew really, you know, helped me, helped me in his own way to deal with it. So. And what did that look? So you, you, your son, Andrew spurred something along that's just like, okay, now I've got to really come to terms with this. I need to, I've got had to offer something to my son and now I've got to, that means I'm working through stuff myself. What did that look like? Yeah. So that was, um, um, that was, that was not me coming to a mature realization when I should have, that was me being stubborn and obstinate. Uh, so it, Andrew, Andrew is a very emotional child. He has been all of his life. Um, you know, we joked that, uh, so his, his, the fourth miscarriage that we had was the twin, his twin that we lost. So he survived and the other twin died and, uh, at six months and they called it vanishing twin syndrome. Um, and so, you know, at some point, Caleb, our oldest had told him on a Sunday morning, you know, Hey, you had a twin. And at three years old, that sent him into like, oh, my word, I didn't realize this. And um, so really, you know, it's kind of like when people find out, you know, their kids find out that they were adopted from somebody else. And then you're like, mm, we probably we probably should have addressed this a little bit. Sooner. But you don't think that you need to. And so it really it, it, for him, it was bizarre. I mean, from my perspective to look at it, because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that a three year old or a four year old would be dealing with this. And so almost immediately he began to attach significance to things and and his twin at first it was just his twin it was very real to him it was very significant to him you know they talk about twins having you know whatever twins have i'm not a twin but you know where there there's a bond that they have and so um it was it was to a level that there would this wouldn't have been anything he wouldn't have been cognizant that he knew he should have had this bond. It was just a very natural thing. And so he started attaching things to his twin. He eventually got to the point where he named her. He, he decided that she was a girl. Uh, we had no idea it was vanishing twins. So we, we don't know uh, what the, what the gender was. And so he assigned the gender, he assigned her a name um and almost immediately so you know five six seven years old he this is part of his life it's like a teddy bear and and i remember when he was probably five or six him telling me you know dad i i want to live my life on behalf of my twin mm -hmm. on behalf of abby who didn't get a chance to live and you know as not a super emotional person and warm and fuzzy all the time i was just like i don't know i don't i don't understand what you've got going on i don't know what you're dealing with but I'm going to act like the the whole miscarriage thing and say, that's your thing. And it didn't happen. And, you know, whatever. And so it really moved then into uh, when we moved to Michigan, where I became a pastor. And there was a lady who, um, who, who ran a ministry, downtown Grand Rapids. It was right next door to the abortion clinic. And it was a ministry for helping women to try to do sidewalk counseling to keep them from having an abortion. And then when they, when they, when they decided not to have an abortion, this whole ministry would 
come around them, provide them a baby shower and counseling and help and just everything. And so she was part of our church. And so my wife started volunteering down there. She enjoyed going down and volunteering and she would take Andrew because he was homeschooled and she needed to take him. And so Andrew became very attached to this ministry at probably seven, eight years old, just very attached to this ministry. And, um, and they, the, the ministry had a, they called it the garden of hope. And what it was, was as they would counsel with women who had gone through an abortion, it was almost therapeutic for them to go through this process of naming their baby. And so the, the, the ministry had a little, it was just a little marker, uh, like a stone marker. And they would just put the first names of the baby's names that were given to them by the mom as a way for them to deal with what they had done through the abortion. And so Andrew became very intrigued by that. This was all really happening without, I wasn't really proactively engaged in this process because, you know, my wife was taking him down there during the day and I wasn't thinking much about it. Well, he went to this woman and he asked, would it be possible for me to put, um, uh, my sister's name on that wall. And so she agreed, just a, you know, sweet, sweet lady. She agreed and they put the full name mm. um, on the, on the wall. So everyone else just has a first name, but, um, and so I was to the point where I was not, now it became an issue for me actually, because before it was just like, well, that's Andrew's thing. And I don't know what he's doing, but whatever, you know, it's like a teddy bear. Okay. You know, Mr. Mr. Fitzgerald or who, you know, whatever, just like, okay, I don't know what you got going on, son. To now, I'm like, wait a minute, you're attaching Abby Dietz to a memorial in downtown Grand Rapids. And I don't know if I'm cool with that because I own that name as much as you technically own that name. In fact, Mm -hmm. I would have argued I own it more. So that it really became, I mean, this is a whole bizarre thing, but it became a point of contention on my part to my son. Because I was frustrated that he was dealing with this issue when I'm like, didn't you get the memo that we don't deal with this? Like, didn't you, didn't you learn that we, we're not going to talk about this? Well, that's not, that's not what he had in his mind. And so, um, so they put the marker on it. They, 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 they um, you know, they um, engraved it in the memorial and, and my wife took him down there and I didn't go. And mm-hmm. Uh, cause I'm like, I, I refuse. Like that's the, that's the point at where I was to say, I'm not going to have, I'm not even going to acknowledge this. I was mm-hmm. mad. I was really mad because now my last name is etched in stone in a memorial in downtown Grand Rapids. And so, um, you know, Kimberly was very gracious with me. She could have been, she could have been really nasty to me for behaving that way. Uh, but she was extremely gracious to me. And um, I remember one night she she talked to me. She said, you know, she said, I really think you're missing out here. I really think you need to deal with whatever it is you need to deal with. And and you need to you need to have a relationship with your son in this regard. And so um, so I did on a December evening. It was cold. It was nasty, dreary, dark night in December. Um I told her, I said, I'm going to be home late coming home from the office. I said, I'll be home late. And so I drove downtown Grand Rapids and stood there in the cold and uh, just stared at that name, Abby Dietz, etched in the memorial in the, in the little garden of hope at the cemetery. 
And that was probably the first time that I began to kind of break down to say, you know what, Dave, you, you really, do, you actually do need to deal with this. Um, and so that, that's really how a lot of in my own, um, was dealing with it. I think at that time I had already started thinking about the idea of the book, but the idea of the book and its originality was to help somebody else. Dave didn't need help because this doesn't exist in Dave's mind. And so it was really God bringing together, I think, two major components. One was, hey, you know, somebody in the church asking for help for their son and, and daughter-in-law. Oh, I can do that. That's what pastors do. Pastors can help you function through that. Simultaneous is my son who's bringing me to a personal dealing with this. And so it was like those two worlds collided in a massive way. Um, so that, you know, looking back on God's sovereign hand, in all of that, I was not happy about it at the time, um, but now I'm grateful, thankful for what God has allowed to happen. You were a Christian for all four of those miscarriage experiences, right? Yes. Yep. So in what ways did the local church help you or not help you through through those four? In your personal experience looking for the church to minister toward you in some way, how did they fail you? How did they help you? Yeah. So the first one, we were newly married. Um, we were, we were actually just uh, finishing up college. Um, and our pastor was extremely gracious. Um, you know, he, he did a great job. I felt like, you know, we didn't know who to talk to. So we called him after it happened, we got home and, uh, called him and he was very good. Um, just listened. He was a very caring guy. Um, I thought he did a great job. We had, um, I can remember over the course of a week or two, you know, maybe three or four people in the church calling us. Um, but it was awkward conversation. I mean, I'll just I'll just play flat out. They were awkward conversations. They didn't know what to say. I didn't know what I wanted said, or I, I didn't even know. Um, but I appreciated. I really did. I appreciated the fact that they attempted to reach out, but there was no clue as to you know, most of them that were calling had not been through a miscarriage. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's just an awkward thing. I, I think most Christians don't know how to help people grieve in general. Uh, we just don't, for whatever reason, we don't do a good job with that. So um, the middle two that we had, um, I felt like, I don't even know that we told anybody because I don't, I don't even know that I was fully aware that Kimberly was pregnant with those. So that was very quiet, kept to ourselves. Uh, the fourth one was when we were in, in New Mexico, that was 2006, and um, uh, getting ready to, to leave. And um, I, I don't think, I think looking back at that, um, you know, I don't recall that. I think probably people just said, oh, you know, oh, we're sorry about that, um, but not much else. There was certainly no pastoral help. There was certainly no... Um, you know, hey, let's let's talk about this. Let's think about this. Um, I know that there was experience among the other pastoral members in miscarriage, having gone through their own, but it was reinforced. This happens. Just deal with it, Dave. Just, you know, life goes on from a pastoral standpoint, too. So congregation wise, it was it was just that passing. Oh, you know, hey, sorry to hear about sorry to hear about that. Um, 
and then we just move on. So it really reinforces for guys, especially, you know, girls, I think are good about talking about stuff, but guys, we're not going to talk about it. And if it's reinforced that we shouldn't be talking about it, we're definitely not going to, we're not going to deal with it. So I don't know that there was intentionality in our local church. Um, outside of our local church, there has been some, you know, there was some crazy stuff said and, and mentioned, but I think like, within the like local what? church, Do you mind if I, if I ask, cause he, sure. no, yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Right. So um, I think I, I, I forget which chapter it is um, maybe two or three or whatever it is. Um, and one of the biggest ones was uh, a friend of my wife's that had grown up with her and they had several kids, you know, they had obviously been very fertile and successful pregnancies and, you know, happy for them. Um, but it was, um, I, I can't remember. If, I'd have to go back and read the story. I can't remember if it was after the first one or after the second, might've been after the fourth one that we had uh, a friend of the, my wife's friend um, wrote her and basically said, this is God's judgment on your life. Uh, because, you know, the womb is, uh, if you have, if you're blessed, you have kids, the womb is fertile. So the, therefore, if you're not having a, a blessed womb, it must mean that God is judging you. That That's the only possibility that we have is, you know, if you have lots of kids, great. You've done everything right. You've checked all your boxes. Hmm. If you don't have kids and you struggled, there's gotta be something in there. You must be sinning somewhere. And, um, so that was, that was stuff that was said, um, you know, stuff that was mentioned from, from Christians, um, you know, just in general, you know, the, the pastor's wife that we worked for, um, right after our first one, you know, just the comments she tried to, she made trying to, you know, in passing, well, you know, we were, we were moving, like we were moving, uh, to where we were going to minister, uh, right, you know, fresh from college, and it would have been like on the due date of the first baby, and and so at lunch, the pastor's wife told my wife, she said, "Well, it's a good thing you don't have the baby because that would have been a lot to deal with, uh, with having a baby and moving and all this stuff." And and uh, she was like, you know, I, I I don't like I'm not warm and fuzzy, and I'm not always the most bright when not to say something, but I'm like I I think I even know. That's you shouldn't say that. Well, and that and that comment was made what twenty five years ago, and you still remember it? Oh yeah, vividly. Yes, yes. Yeah. And my wife remembers it more because you know that was so hurtful for her in that first, you know, miscarriage and trying to deal with everything, and to be told by a pastor's wife, it's a good thing you don't have. It's a good thing you don't have the baby. How would you have handled the stress of having the baby on top of everything else? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we would have handled it. So. So I think, yeah, I think that's just a general um, challenge within Christianity to know. Uh, that's why I want to, at the end of the book, I put in some stuff just for pastors, just to say, listen, here's just a couple of things. Try not to screw this up because, you know, it's really easy for pastors to do it. I mean, even, you know, even having been through it, it was something I had to be mindful of, but, you know, it was definitely something very real for, for us to deal with, so. So I, I think um, I think the the question I'm about to to ask, you've already touched on it a little bit already. But having read the book uh, and having so I, my, my wife and I we experienced a, a miscarriage as well. Our first was actually a miscarriage, and going through that experience and then reading the book, even with the experience and then reading through the book, I still found it difficult even to articulate and formulate questions even for this interview. 
And it's just like one of those things that, okay, why, why is it so difficult to talk about it? Do you have a sense of, of why it's difficult for, for us to have conversations about this, that there's something about it that we say stupid stuff when we're not intending to, we, we mean well, but we're actually causing harm. Why is it that this is so difficult for us to talk about? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, boy, I don't know. I think it's, it's the intangibility of a pregnancy that's lost. We don't know what to do with that. Um, I think in general, so maybe I'll start higher level. I think in general, I think like I mentioned, Christians are, for, for in, a, in a general sense, Christians are horrible at helping people grieve. Mm. Like, I just think as a general rule, we don't do well with that. So we don't, so we're afraid of saying something we shouldn't. So we just don't say anything at all. And so we just almost ignore, even, even when somebody has died that has lived and been around. And so we don't know what to say. We don't know how to comfort. We don't know how to, you know, in Job's case, sit in the ash heap of life with somebody um, and just be quiet. And so when you deal with a miscarriage, so now you're dealing with, I didn't even see the baby. I didn't even, you know, maybe I saw that, that, you know, her belly was growing and maybe I saw that she was three or four months along, but I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to talk to her. I don't know how to talk to him. I, so I think it's compounded. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a theology of grieving that is lacking within Christianity mm. that is heightened, magnified in a miscarriage because that's, we can't even wrap our heads around that component. And so I think that's where the challenges come for, for Christians. And, and, and again, I look back like that first miscarriage, honestly, I, I didn't, I got to the point and I, this is going to sound horrible. I appreciated people calling us. I really did. That meant the world that they did. But those conversations were so awkward. Hmm. And it would have been better, honestly, had somebody just said, hey, Dave and Kimberly, can we, you know, we'd like to just take you out to dinner. And um, we don't even have to talk about it necessarily because we don't know what we're supposed to say. But we just want to we just want to let you know it's OK for you to talk about it if you want to, or talk about something else, but just, we're just here. I, I like, I just keep likening it to, you know, sitting in the ash heap of life and being quiet. And, and that's okay. I, if, if Christians could come away from any conversation around grief with that, um, I think that's going to be, that's going to be helpful for them. And so, you know, just give them a hug, wrap your arm around them, tell them you love them. And, uh, you know, um, so I think, I think that's, I think it ultimately ties to, you know, we don't know how to grieve and we don't know how to process that with other people. So that'd be my guess anyway. I mean, there may be others that might have a better answer, but I, I just think that's really having been a pastor and watching people go through grief, you know, as a pastor, it's hard, it's hard to shepherd through grief and, and then to watch congregants not shepherd or help through grief like you really feel like they should um i just think it just gets heightened with a miscarriage so well there's there's a few things that that just come to my mind even as you express that you know that i do think there is a lacking of just a, like a theology of lament and how to how to express sorrow and pain when uh you know as, you know you mentioned the comment of that one lady who said that uh 
oh, this is God's judgment upon you. And that's that's really kind of like a quasi-prosperity gospel idea where it's just like, oh yeah, if you're if you're in the will of God and you're doing all this stuff, then everything's gonna go well. It's gonna God's gonna bless you and all this stuff. And then when that stuff doesn't happen, it kind of throws a a monkey wrench into that kind of theology. But there's right. things that we can pick up on that, even if we're not embracing prosperity theology, Absolutely. we can almost internalize some aspects of that. And so when you know, we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord, and we're supposed to be a joyous people because of what Christ has done for us. And then that leaves us with, well, how do I handle the tragedies of life? And we struggle right. with that. Yep. Yeah, those, those are certainly challenges. And and you're right. I think we can, it, it, it can throw, like if, if we're not grounded in scripture, a comment like that can throw us for a loop. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think Christianity as a whole certain segments of Christianity as a whole can really mess with people's minds, guilt and fear and, you know, all this stuff that can really get into their heads. And so a comment like that really reinforces that to say, I'm, you know what, I must have some secret sin. I must be, you know, not doing my best for God or, you know, whatever the case may be Um, that can actually spiral in the midst of already grieving the loss of a child can spiral that person out of control more because not only have I lost a child that I couldn't see and I may not have any tangible evidence that I had a baby. Now I'm left questioning, is this all because I haven't been doing my best for the master, so to speak. So, yeah. Well, seeing as this is a theology podcast, how would you explain the theological significance of a miscarriage and how we are to properly understand the factors at play in that event as we apply a biblical worldview to that situation. Yeah. So I think, and if I don't answer your question, the right angle that you're looking for, just let me know. But I think from a theological perspective, this, this is the consequence of sin in that ravages our world. Um, It's, it's, it's part of the consequence of the fall. And so um, you know, from a theological, biblical standpoint, we um, we groan as as Scripture says, all creation groans for the coming back together and the restoration, if you will, under Christ. We groan for that, and and evidencing that is miscarriage among a myriad of things. You know, miscarriage is not the only issue, but among a myriad of things, we we groan and we um, we long for. Uh, Christ to to come back and to rule and to reign and to make all things new again. Um, and so it's not because God is, you know, this mean, nasty, angry uh, circus master up in the sky who may give us a banana today. And, we're you know, we're the monkey in the circus. He may give us a banana or he may whack the snot out of us. We're really not sure. Um, it's not that God is that way at all. It's the consequences of sin uh, the fall, and yet in the and and this is beyond any of our understanding how God's sovereignty works and all of that. I don't, you know, it's amazing how God sovereignly orchestrates the events of life in the midst of the consequences of sin to work out His plan and His will. And so He's not left helpless. He's not left, you know, up there going, "Oh man, I really wish Dave and Kimberly didn't have to go through four miscarriages," but you know, oh, well, I guess that's just the ramifications in our heads. We don't know how to wrap it around it. But the fact is, he is sovereign even in all of the events of these things. And so 
Um, you know, I think where it, it should lead us is to say, you know, I don't understand it. I don't know why. Why? Why? Why is is one family go through this and never struggle? I don't know. Why does one another family struggle with you know? And we we had four, but I know plenty of people that have had you know multiple. Uh, miscarriages and a number of things, you know, why, why did they struggle? Well, God in his sovereignty has allowed that to transpire and has allowed that to take place. And so I think looking at it as opposed to looking at it from like this lady did with, with Kimberly of God is judging you because that's the only thing I can wrap my head around must be because you screwed up somewhere and God is, you know, God is going to get you. Um, it is actually God is sovereignly working in spite of all these things to to work out His will. So, so for the Christian man, perhaps right now going through a miscarriage situation with his wife, say he's tracking with you. He's like, "Yeah, I I recognize these things. I see. I see what you're saying." In what direction should he be drawn now with his thoughts, with his affections, as he then is is recognizing I can't make sense of all these things. I'm not going to make sense of all these things. How in what direction should he go for comfort, for relief, for hope to help right. get him through to the other side of this? Yeah, I think that's, um, I was trying to look up the chapter number, um, chapter five in the book, um, as we, um, you know, as we just go through that process of Colossians, um, and it sounds, I mean, I hate to say it, but it sounds like Sunday school answers, you know, keep your focus on Christ, trust in Christ, uh, you know, continue to pursue Christ. Christ is, is the giver and taker of life. It's, it, it's not Sunday school answer. It's, it's the, it's the truth of how we engage through this process. I think in my own life, um, that particular set of past, I mean, it's a, it's a broad set of passages there in, in Colossians. But it was really what God used in my own life once I was ready to actually deal with things, because it took me so long. Because um, once I got to the point of, okay, I can accept that this happened. I not that I, I couldn't. It's not that I couldn't accept it. I could accept it. I knew it happened. I just didn't want to deal with it. So once I'm ready to deal with it, once I'm ready to face it, because Andrew is forcing me to face this. Now I have to ask the question: How do I deal with this? So for me personally, how, where do I go? Well, you know, the set of verses there in Colossians is is helpful, you know, especially Colossians 1, 15 through 20, you know, right off the, everything holds together by by Christ. And and um, so it, it's just the theological reassurance um, that I have to I have to hang my hat on something. So I've got to hang it on who is God? Uh, how is he going to sustain me? How is he going to give me the the joy that I need to have and give me the grace that to make it through? And so I think for the guy that's walking and tracking through all this to go, okay, you know, um, uh, part of, I think, why men don't want to deal with this is because they don't know how to deal with this. Mm. And so there's a fear. It's a, I don't even want to say it's a survival mechanism, but there's a fear that says, if I start to acknowledge this conversation, well, how am I going to, how am I going to be fixed through it? Or how, how am I going to fix it? So on the front end of that worry, I would then say, in answer to your question, you're going to fix this or deal with this or get through this in Christ alone. That's the only way. Because outside of that, what do you, I mean, what do you have? You have denial, you have, you know, okay, you can drink it away. You can, I don't know what guy, you know, what are guys going to, they can do any number of things. 
So the guy who's tracking, especially the maybe the Christian guy who hopefully would have some sense of of engagement with the relationship with Christ, um, I would say, you know what, you you need to, to deal with this. You can deal with this. And the way you're going to deal with this is like you deal with everything else theologically um, being focused on on who Christ is and what Christ has done. And so that was why, you know, chapter five, just trying to address, listen, here's where you go. There's not like, you know, five steps to get over miscarriage. It's just, let's just, let's give you some truths of scripture. And maybe all of them are going to be helpful for you because you may be a different component. Uh, or maybe one of them in particular is going to be helpful for you. And so I think we drive, uh, we have to drive people to to a theological framework of, of how to handle. Um, I, I haven't finished the book, so I don't know if you address this in the book, but I'm curious. <laughs> do do you do you suggest in your counseling with people who are going through this uh, focusing on heaven and seeing the child again in heaven? How do you how do you process that? And how do you communicate that to counselees? Yeah, I think there's certainly a, a, an element of that. I think um, you know focusing them on you know David's statements that he makes and. Focusing in them on the fact that uh, you know we'll be reunited if we believe life begins at conception. Again, that's a you know a, 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 a belief system that we're going to have to uh, you know agree on as with the you know if we believe life begins at conception, then we have to believe that you know that that life is sacred to God, and uh, then we we focus on the heavenly reunion. We focus on uh, what we have to look forward to. So. Um, for me though, personally, that this, again, my personality is such that's exciting to me, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. I mean, I'll just, if I can just be very honest, it's, it's hard. It, okay. So it's hard enough for me to wrap my head around. What are we going to be as Christians when we get to heaven? How, what, how, what level do we know each other? How does that all work? That's hard that, that my brain kind of goes, ah, I don't know. Now you throw into the mix, let's focus on a miscarriage. In that regard, it's true and theologically accurate and, and good. But for me, I'm like, man, that's like two steps down the road. I'm having a hard time. So for me, yes, I would I would say if I'm counseling somebody or going through that, that's a good thing. Uh, there's, there's some good books on, you know, like that type of topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to me personally, I'm going to say, let's just... Let's make sure that you are doing right. Your focus on on God is right. That your relationship with your wife is right. So more of the practical down in the everyday life. Um, so it's not to neglect, and that's why I didn't. I don't think I really put much in here at all. In fact, at all um, about that. I really I debated that, and then I thought I feel like that might take more explanation <laughs> to to address that. It, it's not that I I, I fully believe. That, um, but I'm just like, okay, this book was written to both a Christian could pick it up and an unsaved person could pick it up, and that's why I was trying to write it to to be that. And I'm like, man, if I if I start going down that path, I don't know if I can wrap my head all the way around it. If I can't wrap my head around it, it's going to take up ten chapters of jumble uh, to explain it. So I didn't really do much with that. I really tried to just say, you know, in the book, let's just let's just let's make sure that your relationship with God is what it should be. Let's make sure that your relationship with your wife is what it should be. And then with your kids, let's just make sure you walk them through. So very practical, very day-to-day. Um, 
type of stuff. So, well, I'd like to, um, if you don't mind, just you know, me playing off my own personal experience with miscarriage and just the particular things that were difficult for me as an individual. I'm just curious how you would respond uh, to someone if you, if someone came to you and said, "Hey, this is what I'm going through and dealing with." Uh, how you would respond to that? Uh, the first, you know, we we talked just a few minutes ago about the importance of having. A, a biblical theology and understanding things from a biblical worldview and knowing, you know, the significance of, you know, it's not because, you know, you're in sin that this miscarriage happens, you know, there's, it's just a, a, a product of the fall and, and those different elements, um, the sovereignty of God, all these different things. I was of a, of a, a mindset and this was, you know, very young, just gotten married. Uh, this was very early on within our, uh, within our marriage uh, when we had this, this miscarriage, and I had this misconception in my head that if I have good and correct theology, that's going to make difficult things hurt less. Right. And it didn't. Right. <laughs> like it hurt right. a lot. And right. that was difficult to process. If yeah. someone comes to you, just like, no, but I have all this theology. I know the sovereignty of God. I'm supposed to be trusting God, but I'm still, it still hurts. Yeah. How would you counsel someone like that? Yeah, so it's the it's the sterility, if you will, of the the academic knowledge, but it doesn't negate for us the heart, compassion, emotion that we have. And so having a theological framework, and, and this is what I have to this is really what I have to struggle. I had to struggle through this as a pastor because I can have all the theological I could explain it to you theologically, you know, whatever issue in this case, miscarriage, you know, you can, you can explain it theologically, but, and that's helpful for people. But at the end of the day, maybe at the beginning of the day, what they want, what they need is like, I need to be cared for in my soul. I need to be cared for in my heart. I need to be cared for as a person. And, and whether that's just, you know, somebody, you know, wrapping their arm around you and saying, Ken, I'm so sorry. I love you. And, um, you know, whatever we can do to help, let us know. Uh, we're, we're, we're praying for you. There's still, just because you knew or I know the theological things does not negate the the emotional aspect that we go through, especially in a grieving process. And um, and so we we have to be mindful of that because the challenge, and I'm, I'm sure this is a temptation or could have been a temptation is for you to say, well, I've got all the theological stuff straight. Why am I struggling over here? Is my theology wrong? Like if you're not careful, it can shake your whole worldview to say, Oh, I, maybe I need to throw all that out because that didn't, that didn't cover me in the, in the emotional. And when the reality is that theological is going to sustain you through a lot, but it's not the end all. Um, which I think is, you know, it's important for guys going through seminary, going into ministry to remember, you know, the theological aspects and truths that they're learning are not a substitution for sometimes, you know what, I just need to, I just need to wrap my arm around you and tell you, I love you and provide a meal for you and sit in the ash heap of life with you and walk you through that. So yeah, that's, that's probably how I would respond to you know, that particular situation. Yeah. It, it, and it took, it took me several years to kind of get to a point where I could have, I, I would have embraced kind of what you were just saying there about how, uh, yeah, having, having right theology doesn't mean life doesn't hurt. Right. It, it gives right. us hope. 
Yeah. Right? We have we have hope in in uh, in what God is going to work through it all, but it's still going to hurt. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. The other thing that was challenging for me was just in my relationship with my wife and and feeling like, you know, as, as she was struggling through things that I needed to be the strong one, right? I, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, break down in front of her. I couldn't cry. I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. But the one thing that I knew I couldn't do was be weak, you know, right. quote unquote right. weak in the midst of that. Yeah. How would you counsel a young man who is, you know, feeling the kind of in a similar way with that in regard to his relationship with his wife as he is seeking to care for her, but as a result, perhaps even like yourself, as you described, you're just not dealing with what's going on right. in your own heart. Yeah, I think there's there's wisdom that says, you know, you may need to hold it together a little bit in a in a moment, depending upon what she's going through or what she's dealing with, but that's going to be not long-term and that's not going to be, you know, something that's sustained for a long period of time. So in other words, in the height of a moment, you, you know, okay, I need to be strong for her right now in this moment. Um, but you also have to go through this process. The, honestly, my, my, I have lots of regrets. Uh, but one of my biggest regrets is that I failed to shepherd my wife and, part of that shepherding process, even being grieving along with her. Um, I think in hindsight, my unwillingness to be vulnerable or to be open or to be trans or even just deal with it. I wasn't in any of those, let alone dealing with it. Um, I think what it, what it subconsciously or maybe not so subconsciously communicated to her was if you're struggling with this, this is your problem and you're not dealing with this. Right. So in my own pride and selfishness of, I don't know how to deal with this, so I'm not going to deal with it. I actually communicated to my wife and that should go for you too. Mm -hmm. You probably shouldn't deal with this. And so uh, one of my biggest regrets is, is that in, in the process, um, I, I don't feel like I did a very good job at all of, of being open, transparent, vulnerable, shepherding with her um, and, and going through that with her and, and, and writing this book, uh, I think I mentioned in the forward part of it or something, you know, if I'm the only one that benefited, maybe this was me, I just needed to, you know, deal with it. You know, so here's, here's on full display, the fact that, you know, Dave Dietz is an idiot and doesn't know how to deal with things. Um, if I was the only one that benefited from this, then great. But if I can help other people not go through and not put their wife through, um, what I, I put my wife through, she's a strong girl, but, um, I think, and I think if, if you were to talk to her, she would say, you know, yeah, um, it would have been, it would have been helpful to just know Dave's struggling and, and Dave's working through this. I mean, there was a lot, it wasn't that I didn't have emotions through it. I did. Uh, I could remember some of them. Um, but again, it was just that, you know, I'm just going to buckle down real men don't cry um Roman don't show emotions and you know we'll we'll scribe we'll slap some theological thing on it and we'll move on and we put it in a box and we're not going to talk about it and so um I think you've got to figure out how to go through it with your wife and um and deal with it um in that way and, and that's going to be helpful for her and for you well this is a critical conversation the church needs to have this conversation more and more your book when men have miscarriages will certainly help us to launch off and have those conversations about how to minister to those dealing with miscarriage so thanks so much for writing the book and thanks so much for joining us today 
yeah thank you guys appreciate it appreciate uh what you guys are doing with the podcast and uh thanks for letting me be on today